Welcome to episode nine of Mind Reading Marketing. Today, we're chatting about a really interesting topic, vulnerability in marketing. My guest today is Amy Barron, who's the founder of I Was Supposed to Have a Baby, which is a nonprofit that utilizes social media to support Jewish individuals and families struggling to have a baby. Amy was formerly the director of innovation and growth at Nahama Comfort and has also worked as an attending pediatrician at the newborn nursery and neonatal intensive care unit at St. Luke's Roosevelt Hospital before taking a leave of absence after her third miscarriage. Understanding how important emotional support was in her healing process, Amy searched for similar resources in the Jewish community but couldn't find any that fit perfectly. As both a medical doctor and someone who had experienced infertility, Amy was uniquely situated to fill this need, and that's how I was supposed to have a baby was born. Hi there, I'm Isabel Kateman, and I run Stripe Dog Creative, a website strategy and design firm dedicated to helping service-based entrepreneurs create strategic and elegant websites so they can attract their dream clients, raise their prices, and scale their businesses. I'm so excited to have you here for the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast. Tune in each week to hear practical business advice, tips on embracing and learning from failure, trust me, it's going to happen, and real talk on trying to create a balanced life as an entrepreneur for my guest experts and of course, from me. Ready to turn those dreams into a reality? Let's do it. Hi, Amy. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited. I am so excited too. This is phenomenal. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, of course. So I wanted to talk first about your journey in getting here and how you got started with I Was Supposed to Have a Baby and how you thought of the idea and what made you decide to want to do this. Wow. Okay. So that's a lot, but I will do my best. Look, I think that we as individuals choose our path in life because we feel passionate about something. Like I think, you know, for some people, their work is a job and for some people work is passion. So for me, I'm trained as a pediatrician. That for me was my passion, was, is my passion. I always dreamed of being a doctor. And once I, you know, started to get older and through my, you know, journey through medical school, and I always loved kids, it was clear to me that I was always going to be a pediatrician. And then life took a turn and, you know, I got married and we knew we wanted a large family. Thankfully we had our first child pretty quickly within a year of our marriage. But then my husband and I struggled with secondary infertility for three and a half years. We finally, then after a number of treatments, we finally did have our son And then as sort of inexplicably as secondary infertility came, it left. And then we were able to have my daughter and I had three kids and like life was great. And we were thinking like, okay, like three is good, but we never thought we were going to stop at three. So like, let's go for four. And we got pregnant again, again, because getting pregnant, not my problem anymore. And then that baby died at 16 weeks gestation. So I was four months pregnant and it was a total shock. I had absolutely no signs or symptoms that that pregnancy was going awry. I wasn't bleeding. There was no cramping and it was a complete and other just shock to my system, but also like this perfectly laid plan that things were going exactly the way we wanted. Right. And you know, everybody said like, you know, oh, this is a fluke. It doesn't happen. You have three healthy kids, blah, blah, blah. 
And they're like, just try again. And so we did. And that exact scenario where I would get to being four months happened three more times over the course of about two years. And I, I don't think there's anyone who can go through you know, what I've been through, what we've been through and not be affected by that. And so for me, I mean, I'll sort of jump ahead to the end of the story. The end of the story for us was that we took a long break. I basically at one point even turned to my husband and said like, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. We're finished. Like this is horrific in 12 million ways. We went down that road. And then, you know, one day I sort of turned to him and said, I think we need to do this one more time. And I now have twins who are eight years old. So like, that's a whole different story. And, you know, we can talk about that if it's relevant, but really, I think, you know, more to the point of your question is the fact that I, you know, as someone who was trained as a medical professional and who went through one of the most horrific things that anyone can go through after I was home with my kids, with my little ones for two years, I just like, I kept thinking like, I have to do something with this space. Like I have to do something in order to be able to give back and like working for other organizations and then eventually launching this, this has been the way that I've been able to take that passion and be able to channel it in a way that gives back to the community at large. Yeah. I love that. And that's amazing. And I think so many people do go through this and I think up until recently, it wasn't something that was talked about. It was very taboo, you know, to kind of talk about it openly. You maybe discuss it with your doctor and your partner and that was it. And so was it difficult for you to kind of decide to put this story out there and decide to kind of be vulnerable and wholeheartedly honest when you were starting this? Did you ever think to yourself, I'm going to sort of put my story out there, but not be like a hundred percent as vulnerable as I am? Right. So I think that that would have crossed my mind if my story wasn't already public, right? I was in all of those cases, like I didn't mention the fact that I also had a very early loss between my first and my second. So that part we didn't talk about, but basically the main bulk of my story of pregnancy loss and the struggles that I had with fertility were these four second trimester losses. And at that point, I was already visibly pregnant. Like my three kids knew we were pregnant. Our friends knew, our families knew. And so my story was already out there. People knew I was pregnant and then people knew I wasn't pregnant anymore. So this idea of like shame or sort of stigma didn't really come into my personal framework because everything that I had gone through was already public. The difference was that I took a very personal situation, a personal tragedy, and then turned it into something that I wanted to be even more public about, right? Like our friends and family knew, but everyone in our community didn't know. Everyone in other communities didn't know. And so, you know, that first time that I actually got up and spoke about our story was a little over five years ago. And I was asked to speak at our local synagogue. They were doing a program on infertility and pregnancy loss. And I was the speaker for pregnancy loss. 
And I remember for days before I was just like a total wreck. Like I had to, like, it was the first time I was actually speaking about it, you know, out loud, right. In front of an audience, but also I couldn't just like, I was too nervous to just get up and speak like extemporaneously. Like I needed to have notes and I needed to have like what I wanted to say. And every time I sat down at my computer to try to get some of this from my head and my heart onto like a screen or paper, so to speak, like it was basically impossible. Like I would basically have like a nervous breakdown and like couldn't do it. I wrote the entire thing in like less than a few hours the day before, because like I literally couldn't do it, you know, all of those days beforehand. And I gave this talk on a Saturday afternoon at like, I don't know, three or four o'clock. I didn't sleep the night before or eat dinner. I didn't have breakfast or lunch that day. It was a total nightmare. But what was driving me was this need and urgency to make this less shameful and less taboo and to have people be aware that this is something that happens that people can be sensitive, they can learn how to talk differently to others who are going through this, and to be able to give over this story in a way that people could take in and try to apply to their own lives. So that was really the piece that was driving me. And what made you, you know, aside from obviously being a part of that community, but what made you want to start something specifically for the Orthodox community? Did you ever think about making this kind of a larger organization? Or was there a reason that you really wanted to target that community? Right. So I'm actually going to correct you for a second and say that I was supposed to have a baby. The organization that I founded and now I run is actually not only for the Orthodox Jewish community. It is for anyone and everyone in the Jewish community that is struggling to have a child, period. Now, I make no apologies for who I am. I am very much is ensconced in the religious Orthodox community. And, you know, I dress the part, I look the part, and, you know, we celebrate the holidays and we keep the traditions and the laws as one would if you were part of that community. But it has always been extremely important to me to make sure that anyone who is struggling with this within the Jewish community feels that they have a place that they can come and talk about their emotions and their feelings as they're as they're trying to build their family. Look, because the reality is this, the experience of struggling to have a child is not one that's unique to one sect of Judaism or one religion or one kind of people or one, you know, specific country or one nation. Like it's just this is a human problem and Yes, why did I choose specifically to start an organization for the Jewish community? Because, you know, we have certain customs, we have certain holidays, we have certain things about our community and the structure of the way we set up our institutions that really emphasizes family, it emphasizes children. And when you don't have children, you can really feel extremely othered. And there is a uniqueness to the kind of experience that we have in our culture and in our religion that is different than others. And so 
I wanted to do something that was at large for the Jewish community, but knowing that all different kinds of people would be getting use of those services. And so, yes, we do talk about things that are specific to the Orthodox community. And we talk about things that have nothing to do with Judaism whatsoever, just the human experience and emotions of going through this. So we try to be as broad as possible within the Jewish community, but as universal as possible in terms of the human experience. Yeah, I love that. And I think so many people can relate to this. And I think your honesty in what you do is so probably motivating to so many people who feel like they're alone, feel like they don't have a space for this. And you know, you talk about being so nervous before at that very first talk. Was this something that gets easier? You know, you're so brutally honest and it's incredible in your marketing. I'm sure that so many people can kind of relate, but does it get easier each day as you're kind of putting yourself out there and putting your story out there? Is it still difficult? Is it still something that scares you? What I would say is yes and yes. <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, I can get up and tell my story. You know, I could speak to, you know, 12 million people and I could speak to one person. And now speaking about the kinds of, you know, things that I've gone through really is not a big deal anymore. But I try to make sure that for every audience, that the message is personal for them. And so do I get nervous when I do public speaking? Absolutely. You know, I heard something once that, I can't even remember who it was, but something to the effect of if you're so stayed in the work that you do and you're so like you have your like polished speech and you're polished, you know, I say this to this audience and I say that to that audience, then like you're not growing and you're not, you know, building more of yourself. You're not learning. I never want to be that way. Like I never want to not be nervous to speak to people. I want to keep that and I want to keep growing and learning and trying to cater to the audience. Yeah. So in being so honest in your marketing and, you know, especially on Instagram, which is really, you know, your main platform and way of connecting with people on social, have you seen a lot of benefits in being honest? Do you feel like, you know, you've had such exponential growth over the past two years, two plus years since you've launched this? Have you seen a lot of benefits in being so honest and vulnerable and connecting with people? I don't know how to do it any other way. I mean, I was going to say, honestly, <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous that I just said that. I don't know how to be anyone else. I think that people connect to human experience. People connect to emotion. This is a deeply personal, deeply, I want to say the word emotional again, but there are other words that could be used here. Obviously, you know, fill in the blank for yourself. I think that this is a human, I keep talking about that, but this is a human need. This is a human desire to want to propagate, to want to build the next generation. Some people don't have that and some people don't want to do that. And that is absolutely a hundred percent fine, but most people do. And I think the piece that's so painful about wanting to have a child and being denied that possibility is that for some, it's just so easy, right? You know, we can all think about the high schooler that like, 
you know, has to like, you know, basically looks at her boyfriend and gets pregnant. I mean, obviously I'm using horrific stereotypes now and like, please like just take them for the, you know, grain of salt and the caveats that they are. But, you know, for some people, like I hear this even from friends and family members, like their husband just has to quote, look at them and they get pregnant. Right. And for others, it is hundreds of thousands of dollars with still not a guaranteed outcome, right? And even for others like myself, getting pregnant, not my problem. Keeping a pregnancy, that was the problem. And for others, what if 50% of the time, approximately, there's a male factor issue, Men don't have sperm or have difficulties with their sperm, problems with their sperm, quality, you know, quantity, et cetera. Sometimes, no matter what the procedures are that, you know, they go through, go, go to the ends of the earth to find doctors and specialists. And sometimes the answer is still no. And then those individuals are forced into making decisions about are they going to use donor sperm or are they not going to use donor sperm? I mean, I could paint you endless scenarios. So I think that the real crux of this issue for people is that for some, it comes so easy without them even trying, without them working for it. And in today's day and age where, you know, we've all heard this concept of like, as we were all growing up, this idea that like, you just study hard and you'll get the A. That doesn't work here all the time. There is no amount of studying or doing or doctors or medicines or finances that can guarantee you a baby. And so it's that great divide, that disconnect between the people who have it easy and the people who don't. And so this is a human experience. And so I don't know how to bring it any way, but with honesty and tapping into that very core notion that if you can't have a child, it's really painful. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so, you know, in terms of everything being on social media now, and I'm sure, you know, everyone has people on their feeds, especially as they get to a certain age of people celebrating or people talking about baby showers or people talking about their pregnancy. What is your, you know, kind of advice to people who are going through this, who have to see all of that? And also what are your feelings on those people who post stuff like that on social media? So it's so interesting. There is a real divide, even amongst people in my community, the people who have struggled, there is a real divide in the way people feel about this. Some people feel oh my God, why do I need to see all of that? Can't you keep some things private? Like, why do you have to show me like every morning when you wake up, do I need to see another picture of your belly? Do we need to like see like, oh, today your daughter is wearing blue and tomorrow she's wearing pink. Like there are some people that are extremely offended by this constant overt display of having and happiness, so to speak, right? And especially, I would say, especially from those that have gone on their social media and spoken about their struggles. There, it's even, they're even more upset at those individuals saying like, how could you? 
how could you just like push this in our faces all the time and just flaunt this when you yourself have struggled and you know how painful it was for you, right? So that's one camp. And then there's the other camp of people that are like, I've struggled for a really long time and now I finally have it, whatever the it is, right? Like I got pregnant, I have a baby, whatever it is. And so I'm now going to shout it to the world. I'm going to show you every single ultrasound picture. I'm going to do this massive, expensive baby reveal party. I'm going to do like all the things and show you all the different things for my nursery and all the different things that I've set up and like my wish list and this and here, click here to get my blip. They're going to do all of that because they've been denied for so long that they want to have some happiness in a space that has been so fraught with pain for such a long period of time. And I get both. Like, I totally understand it personally. I'm a private person. And when I was pregnant, finally, like, I mean, we can talk about the pregnancy with my twins. I think, you know, it's very different to be pregnant after you've had losses, because then every moment that you're pregnant is filled with a horrific amount of anxiety. And so I was basically a mess through the entire eight months because they were taken out one month earlier. I didn't even tell my parents or my in-laws that we were having twins. The only people who knew were my husband and my doctor. I was petrified. And so how much more so was I going on social media and showing my belly? Absolutely not, right? But I understand the people who want to. So I think that there has to be, there's a time and space for everything, in my opinion. There is the, you know, public social media, like, oh, look, here's my belly and here are my pictures and here's my gender reveal and all of that, right? And then there's the person in your life who you know is struggling and you know that while they're happy for you, every time they think about the fact that you're finally getting what they don't have, they're crying themselves to sleep that night. And so there has to be a level of sensitivity in your personal life with the people that you care about and the people that you know are going to be personally affected. For social media and the world, like, you know, do what you want, so to speak. Like there is no one who should be able to tell you what you can post on your own social media, but you recognizing the fact that you're going to have backlash if you've talked about how horrific your infertility or whatever else was, and you have followers that have watched you through this and look to you as someone who has struggled. So if you recognize that, then do whatever you want. But I think in your personal life, you really have to be careful and just be mindful of the people around you. Yeah, I think it's an interesting juxtaposition because I think that, you know, in this day and age, we talk so much about being authentic, right? On on social media, you know, there's so many influencers out there. And especially, you know, even a few years ago that, you know, would just, I always use this example, sitting on a beach in Bali, you know, I made my business in 90 days and now I have $100,000. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah, fucking right. But you know, it's like, on the one hand, we're taught that authenticity and being truthful and being, you know, as open as you're comfortable being, like, as we all know, Instagram is not my strong suit, but 
you know, it's like as open as you're comfortable being and kind of telling your story. But then on the other hand, this is such a sensitive topic. And as you were saying, there are so many people probably in your direct community who are going through this and it is so painful for them to see that it can be really difficult. But I think, you know, as soon as we start like censoring isn't quite quite the right word, but as soon as we it's funny, right. I was actually going to say censoring, but you're right. Censoring is not the right word. Yeah, no, no, totally. Because I think, you know, it reminds me of, you know, my husband is vegan. And so he's not like this, but a lot of people in the vegan community, especially around Thanksgiving, they feel a similar way when people post their turkey pictures, because they see it as just a slaughtered dead animal that they find absolutely abhorrent and horrific. And they can't believe that somebody would post this. But, you know, my husband, Brian, always feels like they're allowed to do whatever they want if you know, his response and, you know, he's obviously very direct, but his response is if that bothers you, you need to go to therapy because you live in a world where people eat meat. And if that is something that's so uncomfortable for you that you can't even see it, then you either need to get off of social media or work through it. And obviously this is 10, 15, 20 million levels more sensitive, but I just think it's interesting when we start to kind of get worried about what we're posting and offending other people and all of that, because we are in this kind of day and age of everything being authentic and everything being honest. And we're supposed to be vulnerable. And we're told that the more honest we are, the more people we connect with and kind of the better it is in terms of this like crazy digital age where everything is, you know, for the public and on social. And so I just, it's a tough kind of decision to be made in terms of how much you want to share because it does offend people, but also is it your job not to offend people? Yeah. I think that that's really the crux of the issue, right? I think that What's authenticity? Is authenticity showing everybody everything? Or is authenticity showing people things with a lens? And the answer can be both, right? You really, I think for some people, the showing the everything and not the cultivated, beautiful feed of like, I'm sitting in Bali, right? It is like, is there model. It's their brand, right? I'm showing you that I'm crying on the toilet as I like just got my period or like I'm showing you that like my, as I'm crying and I just got my negative pregnancy test, like I'm showing you all the things like my transfer failed. I'm taking you along, you know, as I go to my 17,000 doctor appointments and I'm like, some people do all of that. And there are those that have stepped away and said, I can't do this anymore because I'm going through, it's too hard. And like, I can't keep, even though like I'm showing you my tears, I can't keep like showing up and showing you my tears. Like I need to step away, right? And then, you know, there are others who I I think like, you know, you have to bring back on some level, this culture of sensitivity that all of us have right now, right? We're in a time in history where everything you say can be fraught with someone finding it offensive, right? And so it's almost like, you know, maybe you shouldn't say anything because someone's going to be pissed off, right? But you also have to know your audience. And so, you know, I go back to what I was saying before. Don't be stupid. If your best friend has been trying to get pregnant, then don't flaunt your stomach around her. Like, just don't do that. Be sensitive. Like, understand if she maybe doesn't want to see you every Monday for coffee in the same way she has in the last, you know, 12,000 years. 
understand if she's not going to come to your baby shower or if she's not going to plan your baby shower the way you hope she was going to. And maybe we'll only just make the cake and then we'll have to leave. Like, I think that I'm not saying avoid everything because everything is too offensive, but know your audience and know which ears this stuff that you're giving out, where it's landing and put yourself in their shoes for five seconds. You also would be unhappy. You also would be in your bed crying at 3 a.m. Like it's just a little bit of sensitivity. I think that we all can learn here and try to balance out the, you know, everybody needs to know everything or else we're not really authentic. Right, right. Yeah, no, I think that that's a good point and a good middle ground. And I think that it definitely can go a long way to the people in your community or in your life or the people on social who are having to look at that for you to kind of just take a second and think about it before you post it. It doesn't mean that you're not allowed to post it or that you can't post it, but just know that you could be potentially negatively affecting someone if you do move forward and post it. Exactly. Yeah. And so for people who are listening to this, who might be going through this journey right now and have had this struggle, do you have any advice for them? Do you find that talking about it is helpful, not talking about it is helpful, being part of a community, being private? Is there kind of a one-size-fits-all solution to this? Or is there any advice that you have for people that are going through this? There is definitely no one-size-fits-all. This is very much an individual experience. Some people want to tell the world. They need the support from other people. They want people to be there for them. They need to be able to discuss and emote and just over and over again. And they need to share it with the world, get on social. They need to tell everyone in there, like they need to share it all the time. There are others who don't even tell their parents, don't even tell people in their family whether they feel it's shameful, whether they feel it's embarrassing because maybe it's one person's problem as opposed to some other diagnosis that might be for both of them. I mean, there could be a million reasons, but some people also are just more private in general, right? That's their nature. This is, there is definitely no size fits all. There are some people who really find value in reading lots of books on the subject, watching videos, watching interviews, reading articles. They, you know, any movie or any TV show that mentions even infertility or pregnancy loss, like they're just constantly looking for, you know, themselves to be sort of mirrored on screen. They want to see how other people manage it. There are others who need, like they need a community not only their friends and like everyone, but they need an actual fertility community. They need to be surrounded by people who, you know, it doesn't necessarily matter about people's individual circumstances because like you're never going to find anyone that has exactly your story with exactly the same scenarios. But when you're in a fertility community of people who are all struggling to have a child, they're the commonality, the common ground is pain. It's feeling guilt that you're not more happy for someone else. It's feeling jealous of other people who have what you don't have. It's the anger and this like 
being filled with rage that it comes so easy for some people. Like these are all experiences and emotions that are unique to the fertility community and regardless of what your specific diagnosis is. And so immediately, if you get into one of these spaces and you get a group of people who've gone through something, right, there's this shared language and it's immediately the sense of belonging. And so for some people, that's a really powerful experience to either have the actual support groups, you know, virtual support groups or in-person support groups, or even just, you know, community like ours, like I'm going to be shameful and plug it right now because I can, you know, I was supposed to have a baby is in, we built it to be an online community for anyone who's struggling and just, you know, we talk about the pitfalls of social media, you know, from here until tomorrow, right? But one of the beautiful things about social media is the fact that you can be totally anonymous and be part of this grand fertility community, not only ours, but there are thousands and thousands and thousands of accounts and other communities on Instagram and on other pieces of social media where people come together because of pain. And because of the anonymity, right? And because of the fact that it's like basically universally accessible, like, you know, three o'clock in the morning in your bed, find your phone. Standing online at Costco, find your phone. At the beach in Bali, find your phone. Like you can get the support anywhere. And so it's a really beautiful way to immediately connect with people and have that sense of belonging and have that sense of like, oh, good, I'm not the only one who like wants to run over all the pregnant women I see at Target, right? So I think there is no one size fits all. Absolutely not. But we know that being in a place where you feel understood is a really powerful experience. And so most people usually find something, find some kind of community or readings or this, like they need to connect to it on some level, but for everybody, it's a little different. Yeah, no, I think that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, you talked about plugging yourself a little bit. So I'd love, you know, to hear about the different ways that you help people. I know you obviously have Instagram and you have a website, but, you know, just talk about kind of the different ways that people can utilize you as a resource if they want to. Thanks. That's why I did want to have to be shamelessly plugging myself. So no, no, go for it. Look, I think, you know, we created this specifically in mind. I always say that person crying at 3 a.m. because that person was me. And when I and we, because, you know, we have a very beautiful board, a board who's very active and helps advise us in our decision-making when we think about content and when we think about the kinds of things that we want to bring to this community, we're thinking about that person that doesn't have the strength to get up and go to a brick and mortar support group that doesn't have the strength necessarily to maybe even get up and shower that day. Can't remember the last time that she like smiled and we're not like, Grief is very different than depression. Grief and having failed cycles or struggling to have a child. I'm not talking about depression. What I'm talking about is just feeling so alone and feeling like the entire world is moving on and you're not. And that's a very lonely place to be. 
And so what we did is we created this space that talks about these issues from an emotional perspective. We don't give medical guidance. We don't give financial assistance. We don't actually, you know, in Jewish law, there are actually many laws that govern the fertility processes and the different treatments and so on and so forth. We don't get into that at all. What we do is we just talk about the common human experience of feeling alone. And we do that in a way that we hit our content is very specifically geared toward two different kinds of individuals. We know very much our audience is filled with two different kinds of people. It's those who are struggling or who have struggled in the past. And the second part of the audience is everybody else. And so it's, yes, it's that person at three o'clock in the morning, as I mentioned, we give you content. We talk about the emotions. We talk about the myriad of different things that you're going to be going through. We do hit different medical topics that might bring on infertility. We talk about what we call circumstantial infertility, why you may not be able to have a child, be it because of of some sort of medical illness, mental illness, maybe it is finances, maybe your relationship is in shambles. Maybe you're not interested in bringing a child into this world unless you have a partner. So if you're single, you just can't even conceive of it, conceive of it right now. And therefore you're circumstantially, so to speak, infertile. We know that we talk about all aspects of grief, whether it's early miscarriage, late miscarriage, stillbirth, infant loss. We talk about recurrent losses. We go through individuals who are considering adoption, surrogacy, and we delve into all of these different topics, usually on a weekly basis, to try to cover them in a way that feels substantial and is able to give information over to the second part of the audience. Because the key part about all of this is not only comforting the people who are struggling and having them you know, open up Instagram, look at the content and say, ah, there's finally somebody who gets it. Finally, somebody is talking about me, right? But it's everybody else who's like, oh, like I didn't realize this was a thing. Oh, I see now. Oh, I shouldn't say that to those people. Oh, I shouldn't do this. Oh, I should like the better way to go about X, Y, and Z would be this. Oh, I get it. Our goal is to help make people feel less alone. And we know that our work is on Instagram, but it's very much off Instagram. And so if we can educate the community so that in their broad interactions on text, in person, in emails, on phone calls, at family gatherings, at big events, that people don't put their foot in their mouths and say, hey, how many children do you have to someone who's struggling? That's our goal, right? That's our goal. It's let's give the person who's struggling, the person who's crying, let's give them wraparound support. Let's let them feel better by seeing that they're not alone, but let's try to educate everyone else 
to get them to be more supportive and get them to be in a position to help give the ones who are having difficulty more of what they need. Yeah. And you also, I'll just plug this for you for a second, but you also have a ton of resources on your site. You offer individual and group support as well. You do conferences, you do tons of stuff on Instagram, Instagram live. So if people want to connect with you, where can they find you? What's your Instagram handle? What's your website? Yeah, we are. I was supposed ED, supposed to have a baby. We named it because many people feel they were supposed to have a baby and they couldn't. So we tried to, we wanted the name to immediately capture people. So our handle is literally, I was supposed to have a baby. And our website is, I was supposed to have a baby.org. Amazing. And before I let you go, one final question I ask everyone, if you could go back, you know, either five years when you were very first starting this, or, you know, just over two years when you were starting your Instagram and give yourself a piece of advice, what do you wish you could go back and tell yourself then? It's a piece of advice that I still give myself even today. I learned as part of a Jewish women's cohort a few years ago, there was a speaker who got up who's done She's had a tremendous number of career changes in her life. She said that each time she changed her career, she felt like almost this imposter syndrome. Like, how could I do this? I was so good at that. I was so good at the other thing. Like, how could I like, you know, move on and do something else? And like, I'm not good at this. And she eventually moved past that because she kept repeating this mantra to herself, which is done is better than perfect. And to this day, I still repeat that to myself. Like I look back at the work that I did five years ago, two years ago, last week, and I'm like, oh, I can't believe I put that out. I can't believe I did this I for a million reasons, but it got done. And the more you do, the more you do, right? And the more you do, the more you grow. And so I try not to get like too much in my head about like making sure all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Like, yes, I like Isabel and I know each other very well. And she knows that I usually like to have all the I's <laughs> dotted and the T's crossed. Like I need to make sure my lines are straight, but sometimes just putting it out and getting it done is better than making it perfect. And so that is the advice that I would give to myself. And I continue to give to myself and I give to everybody else. Yeah, no, I love that. I like to think of both of us as recovering perfectionists. I try not to label myself a perfectionist anymore because then then I'm like imaginarily, I don't know if that's a word, holding myself to that standard. So now I'm just a recovering perfectionist. So it's okay if things go out not 100% perfect. I'm in recovery for this right now. Exactly, exactly. Yes, I, I fully agree, fully agree. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Well, thank you so much for being here. This was so much fun. I could talk to you for hours. So this is great. This is great. Thanks so much for joining me for this episode of the Mind Reading Marketing Podcast with yours truly, Isabel Caitlin. If you love the show, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I love hearing from all of you. Share it with a friend, family, colleague, or anyone you know who may benefit from this episode. Remember, You can always find the links and resources mentioned in the show over at stripedogcreative.com. All right, that's it for today. See you next time.